Welcome to the Arise podcast. I'm Tanya Anderson, CEO at Arise, and it's my pleasure to have with me today Michael Collins, who is the Commissioner of the Department of Neighborhood and Business Development for the City of Syracuse. Welcome, Michael. Thank you for having me, Tanya. So you have had many roles in our community and been a real partner to Arise for many years, and I deeply appreciate that. Can you talk a little bit about what you did in the nonprofit sector before you moved over to the city? Sure. Uh, when I was in the nonprofit sector, I, I had a few different roles. Uh, I actually started out with a, a small housing agency that was providing housing for people with disabilities. It was scattered site across the county. Uh, There's about 30 different units uh, that I managed, and uh, that included uh, the lease hubs, turnovers, maintenance, repairs. Uh, that small uh, that small agency was part of a larger one. They split off, uh, and I stayed with a larger agency and ended up uh, spending a lot of years doing housing for refugee resettlement uh, with, uh, at uh, Interfaith Works. Wow. And then you were at the Syracuse Northeast Community Center. Yeah, so I, I was uh, did refugee resettlement for uh, about three years where I was focusing on housing and uh, helping uh, ethnic community-based organizations that wanted to become nonprofits to serve their own people, be able to stand up and, and do that. And then from there, I moved over to the Northeast Community Center. That's an uh, independent nonprofit that happens to occupy a city-owned building uh, serving the north side of Syracuse. Great. And then you became commissioner how long ago? So March of 2020. So there's nothing going on in March of 2020. There, there, there wasn't when I started. Uh, two weeks later, things changed. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So we'll talk about that in a second. And I really want to talk about housing as well. Can you describe what your office, what your office does? So neighborhood and business development is a really wide-ranging office. Right. And from a public-facing standpoint, uh, if you live, work, or own a business in the city of Syracuse, and you're going to interact with city government, it's likely our department. Uh, and that happens through a few different ways. Um, in our neighborhood side, we've got the HUD entitlement grants that flow through the city. So the Community Development Block Grant does a lot of funding for human service organizations uh, and housing, as does the Emergency Solutions Grant and the Home Grant, which is a suite of um, block grants where HUD gives them to the city. And to the municipalities and under HUD rules, uh, we use a community process to figure out the best way to distribute the funds. We've got neighborhood planners that are always, um, besides doing a fair amount of research, uh, meeting with neighbors and understanding what concerns are, trying to communicate good uh, information that is that is helpful to them. We've got data specialists um, on our business side we've got the uh, industrial development agency so if you're growing your business and uh, expanding the, the physical structure we can provide tax breaks if uh, the, this is going to allow you to create new jobs uh, or retain jobs here in the city mm -hmm. we've got an economic development corporation sedco does uh, small business lending and has moved a tremendous amount of money over the last three years to help small businesses in the city especially minority businesses and women-owned businesses that uh, didn't always have access to funding through uh, commercial banking. Uh, and uh, we've got planning and sustainability, as well as uh, code enforcement, which does not only the, uh, the traditional enforcement side of, hey, there's a problem in somebody's uh, home, or uh, so we can go in and take a look and make sure that a landlord is, it does the repairs as they're supposed to, but also uh, anything that has to do with, with construction. So all the building permitting comes through us as well. That's a tremendous amount. 
It's wide-ranging. Yes, it is. It sure is. And the um, community development block grants in particular, that's something that Arise has been able to benefit from for some time with our housing advocacy. So thank you for that. It's a privilege to be able to be part of the process of making sure that the money goes to places that are truly impactful in the way that Arise is with the programs that you do. Well, thank you. So um, you started shortly before COVID, and before we started the podcast, you talked about that many of the COVID-related funds flow through your office, and I was really interested about the public-facing dashboard that you have. Can you let folks know about that? So uh, our uh, uh, Director of Strategic Initiatives, Jen Tift, uh, oversees all of the American Rescue Plan Act funds, and the city received $123 million dollars which is uh, obviously an incredibly significant amount for, uh, for a city the size of Syracuse. We used an extensive planning process on uh, figuring out really what was the best way to make the most use of this money. And we wanted to make sure that not only we're having public input and in how we're using it, but we're being very public-facing and how we share it. So if you go to the city website, syr.gov, you're able to find the uh, the dashboard. And the dashboard updates uh, weekly and uh, demonstrates, uh, shows the public the different areas in which we're, uh, uh, we've got the money going out into the community or into infrastructure projects and um, uh, the rate at which we're doing it. That's a great resource. It is. Thank you for doing that. Yeah. So the other um, major project that you've accomplished recently is um, taking across the finish line, rezone Syracuse. Can you describe that project a little bit? So this is a, about a seven-year effort. Uh, Owen Kearney, uh, who is our Deputy Commissioner of Planning and Sustainability, um, uh, led it when he was with the Syracuse Onondaga County Planning Agency, which uh, the county and the city both uh, agreed it was it was time to retire. Mm-hmm. And so um, July first, both uh, SACPA and um, uh, came to a, came to an end and the uh, rezone Syracuse uh, became implemented. And so it is the first comprehensive uh, redo of the zoning code for the city since 1967. So it it was completely overdue, which is part of why it took so long to do it. Uh, There was um, approximately 100 different sessions where uh, public input, input was provided. And through that, and through following best practices, we've we've made a lot of updates to the code. And, I, and one of the things that I'm really excited about is the way that we've uh, addressed affordability within housing. So, so let's talk about that. And of course, you know there is a housing crisis in our community with affordability housing, but also accessible housing. So mm-hmm. if you could put that additional lens on it, yeah. tell me what's what's different in our code now for affordable housing? So for affordable housing, and and, uh, there's an important distinction to make. I I really appreciate the fact that you brought up the accessibility standpoint because the accessibility standpoint shows up within the building code. Okay. Um, The land use, what can you build? Uh, is what shows up in the zoning code, okay. and so, um, but there's but there's there's ways in which one can encourage the other, and so for uh, for rezone affordability is addressed two ways. Uh, one is now if you've got a single family home, you are allowed to put an accessory dwelling unit on the home. And what is an accessory so dwelling unit? What is an accessory <laughs> dwelling unit? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> so uh, if if I've got a single family home. And uh, as I age, uh, my children or uh, I, I have a, a caretaker perhaps that may want to move in, 
Uh, or I'm on a really fixed income and I really think that I'm, I'm going to want to have some uh, extra rent income so I can maintain my independence mm-hmm. as, as I age. I can uh, I can build out a, um, uh, a, a an attached dwelling unit to the house, so that I it, it basically gives me a small uh, either either rental uh, to supplement my income or a place for 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 my child, my parents, my caregiver to be able to live uh, with me, but still have uh, be independent in their space. And that's the the real estate lingo is like an in law apartment, is what yeah, they call exactly. it. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah. So um, I, I think from a from a disability standpoint, the ability to have more options, where uh, where the where the caregiver uh, and and the, the person who's living independently can be together, that that does encourage independence and, and create a, a, a greater uh, timeline for people to be independent. Absolutely. Are there changes in the code with respect to um, multiple unrelated people living in the same house? So that is one of the things what, that we will be addressing going forward. Okay. So what, what we've done is uh, we, we really worked hard to make sure that perfect didn't, didn't become the barrier to good. Okay. Uh, we moved forward with a, a really massive overhaul. And uh, this is a living document. So starting now, we're beginning to look at the, the different ways in which uh, we want to amend what we just created and uh, uh, how many unrelated people uh, live within a house is one of the things that we're going to look at. And when we talk about unrelated people living in a house, um, some fo- folks call those group homes. It could be just a collection of people who want to live together mm-hmm. or it could be people with a mental health diagnosis or a disability of some sort they get outside supports living together it could be all sorts of things and i know in the past different projects that have been proposed within the existing code at the time have faced resistance how do you see a way to balance the interests of neighbors and the real interests that folks should be able to sort of live in congregate settings that make sense for them so th- there's there's two things that uh, are really significantly different around around this because it, it, you bring up um, uh, a subject that addresses a few different points right the one is uh, what's allowable with the code and the other is how is that interpreted and so uh, in areas in which uh, w- one of the things uh, let me say this differently one of the things that we've redone uh, when we've done with, with the new zoning code is we've been able to take a lot of things that previously needed to have that were sm- considered smaller items uh, by I think most reasonable people but uh, with the way the code is written they needed a, a more formal approval process they now can be approved administratively okay so there are a lot of times in which what we're able to do is take a look at it and say this makes sense and it makes sense really within uh, within the code, even if it's not clearly delineated, there's no reason that this needs to go before a full commission. Uh, and if and I can pause there, when you say before a full commission, you mean a hearing process with correct. public notice and all those sorts of things. Exactly. Got it. Which, which takes uh, takes a lot of time and often takes a lot of expense and, and preparation for it. Right. Uh, and there are um, there are plenty of things, however, that that still. Uh, with the way that the land would be used and therefore um, uh, those that currently live um, uh, in close proximity or work in close proximity would have be uh, differently affected by that development that it should go in front of a, a, a Board of Zoning Appeals or a Planning Commission to be to be able to have permission to do it. Um, but 
overall, we're trying to both make sure that the code is better, but also the process is better. That makes sense. One issue that I'm aware of in the past in the city that sometimes it would be difficult for a homeowner to have a, a ramp built on their property because of various setback requirements. Has that been addressed or is that something that is on the to-do list? So that's, um, it, there are more cases now where that can be administratively re- uh, approved so that for if it's an access-related issue, we're, um, the, uh, we're able to do that. The setbacks end up being uh, can be a challenge uh, if it's an enclosed ramp. It can be a challenge from um, how much of the parcel is occupied by built structure, right. um, and uh, there's there's greater ability now for for that to be administratively approved. So what I'm hearing is that um, you've got a lot more flexibility, and um, it may not be, you you can't ignore obviously setback requirements and and build requirements but you're able to work you have more latitude in terms of working with the homeowner our, our whole goal uh, whether whether it's a a homeowner or a landlord that's, is is uh, to be able to make sure that someone's able to maintain uh, to uh, stay within their home and so what we're trying to do is, is create as many possibilities to get to that that's great so on the issue of um, visitable housing and accessible housing which are related but different what does the revised code look like now on those issues and what are some of the things that you're thinking about in terms of making further improvements so that is where we've got the difference between uh, the zoning code which says what are we allowed to do with the land right and the building code that says what what must the structure be like to be uh, to be safe um, and um, so that is actually a building code issue and building code is set by in New York State. Uh, uh, Syracuse follows the New York State building code. So um, the uh, those two, while the the relation among the two comes in your your example around the ramps. Uh, as far as visibility and accessibility, that uh, that's not a uh, something that shows up within zoning actually. So if visitability and accessible housing within the building code. And so we're talking about things like having a no-step entrance Mm -hmm. is a feature of a visitable home, Mm -hmm. Um, having widened doorways and Mm -hmm. hallways so if someone uses a wheelchair, they can access it, Um, those sorts of built features. What control, if any, does the city have over encouraging those sorts of improvements? So one of the things that we do when we're working with developers uh, that are looking to develop affordable housing is we'll, we'll look, uh, work with them on where there are opportunities for us to be able to provide perhaps a little bit additional funding so that uh, visibility or accessibility can be built into it. And um, it, it is not from a from an overall expense standpoint, it doesn't add a lot. The challenge is uh, that the development costs have skyrocketed over the last three and a half years. Right. And um, while we ha- we're in this moment where we've got access to more funding uh, through the American Rescue Plan Act and, and the COVID related funds that have come through HUD, uh, we're reaching the end of of that period of of having a lot more money we're not reaching the end of the period of having a lot more expense related to development. So uh, from uh, we're at this moment right now where we've been able to uh, say, hey, we can help with those costs. We're going to have to figure out something else going forward. And I, I definitely can appreciate that. And it sounds like what you're trying to do is a combination of education with the developers and linking them to funding because it's my understanding that even if the ARPA funds are, are attributed 
there are additional funds in the state. The governor's made a big push about affordable housing. It's mm-hmm. just raising that additional awareness about visitable and accessible housing. Correct. And it's, and it's uh, raising not just the awareness, but the awareness of um, uh, what that means holistically when it comes to housing. Because our strongest community, communities are diverse in every way that, that a community can be diverse. Right. So if we're able to demonstrate that within, uh, it, it, excuse me, if the developer is able to demonstrate that within a project, um, then that's the kind of thing that the city, as it endorses a project that's going forward to the state for funding, uh, we're able to highlight, hey, this is one of the reasons that we really value this project. Absolutely. And Arise also partners with many of those projects in terms of giving the wraparound support services. Yeah. So I understand how it's a really a team effort to try to get these projects built. It is. So I think I know generally that there is a housing crisis in our city. Can you put some some detail or some numbers around that? So uh, we recently com- uh, completed a comprehensive housing market study for the city uh, that's available at syracusehousingstudy.com. And what we did with that is we um, evaluated every single housing unit in the city uh, from street uh, street level. Uh, So uh, really, really comprehensive. Um, And we found that there's actually, we've got two problems. Uh, What's talked a lot of uh, talked about a lot uh, appropriately is the affordability crisis. That that idea, the fact that too many people in the city spend more than thirty percent of their income on housing. Right. We also have a market gap problem, which means that um, what it costs to build and maintain exceeds what the value is in too many places. And um, what we know is that there's no there's no good funding mechanism really right now to address both. Right. Um, the affordability one, there is a lot of money through the housing uh, through through New York State, and we really appreciate, uh, deeply appreciate the push that the governor has had on this. And housing community renewal, the New York State Department, where this money flows through, uh, is, has been a strong partner of the city in developing housing. Uh, it's the way the funding is structured, however, uh, limits diversity by income, and so uh, there is a concern around our ability to make sure that uh, truly diverse and healthy neighborhoods are built. And there's no funding out there to address the market gap. And if we want to have a really healthy community, then we need to make sure that everybody that wants to live here uh, is able to and sees value in doing it. That is such an important point. And I'm, I'm a lifelong city resident, and I can completely identify with what you're saying. So how are you going to fix that market gap? So we actually are looking, uh, we've started phase two of the housing market study, and that is what do we do to create a toolbox where we can can choose to make some very targeted investments. The the issue um, overall is too wide for us to be able, and too deep for us to be able to say, we're we're just going to fix everything. Right. So uh, what we're looking at over the next six months are what are the right tools for us to use? And what does um, what does successful implementation of those tools look like, and and how how do we what's a process for us to make make those decisions in a way that is that is going to have the greatest impact on the city? So we're working on it. One of the things that the mayor announced in his state of the city address earlier this year is we are working right now to establish a housing trust fund, which will uh, give us a mechanism to be able to have uh, have some funding. 
uh, and uh, make choices on what we're looking to support so that we can create that type of housing. Well, that sounds amazing, and I look forward to talking to you in six months or so where we can get some detail on that framework. Yeah, uh, the, we'll, we'll have a lot of uh, chance to uh, pu- talk publicly about it, but I'd, I'd love to be able to be here and talk about it as, uh, uh, just, just with her eyes. Thank you. Thanks so much for all you do, Michael. I really appreciate it. You're, a, a, you're committed to our city and committed to our diversity, you know, the disability community, and just thanks for all you do. I appreciate that, Tanya. Thank you, and thank you for all you do and for her eyes. My pleasure. Thanks. For more information on how you can support Arise, visit our website at ariseinc.org. Support Arise. Support Independence.